Hello and welcome to the All Terrain podcast brought to you by the Children and Youth Department of the Salvation Army in the United Kingdom and Ireland. I'm Jo Taylor and in each episode I'll be inviting a guest to take a hypothetical hike with me as we find out about their real life journey to this point. Along the way they'll make four choices to help with that journey and answer four big questions. In this episode our guest is Phil Wall. Phil began working life as a London policeman and came to faith at the age of 19. In 1990, he began working for the Salvation Army and launched the UK mission team that he led for the next decade. During that time, he led a team that planted Rains Park Community Church, launched a number of leadership development and mentoring programmes and missional initiatives, including the National Salvation Army event Roots. At the end of the 90s, after a failed adoption attempt of a young HIV plus toddler he'd met in South Africa, Phil and his wife Wendy launched what became known as the charity We See Hope. To help facilitate the growth and development of the charity, Phil also established a leadership coaching and advisory business. As part of the Queen's Platinum Jubilee New Year's Honours list, both Phil and Wendy were honoured with an MBE each for their work in Africa and linked business innovation. This was presented to them by King Charles. Phil and Wendy have been married for 38 years. They've got three adult children. And in those gaps between that busyness, he loves curry, rugby and golf. I've known Phil for a whole load of years and I really loved this opportunity to chat with him after a really long time and hear more about some of his motivations, some of his experiences, and just learn from some of the wisdom he's picked up across a really rich and varied life. So let's go and have a listen together. Well, Phil, um, it is so good to have you on the All Terrain podcast. Um, I know you um, a bit, though we haven't met for a while. But um, you are one of the people that has influenced me on my journey and wow. would be part of the reason I'm sitting here now doing what I do. So I feel like I I know a bit about you, but it'd be great if you could tell our listeners a little bit about who you are, your connections with the Salvation Army, um, and also what your everyday life looks like now. Okay. Well, Joe, firstly, it's great to connect with you again. It's a real joy. That's the great things about these Zoom things. You can now see, oh, I've seen for ages, but it's great. <laughs> so uh, it's a real privilege to, to um, yeah, say hi and uh, be part of it. Thank you for inviting me to be on this podcast. It's a real privilege. So um, for those who don't know, uh, my name is Phil Wall. Um, yeah, so in terms of the Salvation Army, I was, uh, I was a fetal Salvationist. I was born into it. My parents were um, Salvation Army officers. And uh, for me, it was, um, it was very much part of my upbringing, um, going to church uh, on a Sunday, three times on a, a Sunday. Uh, well, actually, multiple times on Sunday, actually, more so three lot, times. But, um, we used to spend a lot, yeah, didn't we? We did used to spend a lot of time there, yeah. And <laughs> uh, do you know what? My memories, my memories of most of that are, are really joyous ones. You know, mm. I just don't remember being bored. Um, and um, I mean, when I became a sulky teenager, it probably got a bit that way at times. But I just always remember all the life and the energy and the camps mm. and all the stuff there. That was great. So, but I, I kind of went a bit wandering. Uh, I didn't. I mean, I think I made multiple kind of decisions when I was younger, but but really, faith didn't anchor for me. Um, 
until I was uh, tw about nearly 20 years of age. When somebody completely outside of the context of salvation, and I kind of left really when I was about 15, 16, mm. stopped going to church really when I joined the police. And um, yeah, I was a bit of a, a wandering nomad for a while. I went occasionally to keep my parents happy. Uh, and then uh, found this very attractive blonde at my parents' church that I was <laughs> very interested in spending some time getting to know. And um, uh, so I was roundabouts, but again, what, just one guy who's actually the husband of my younger sister's singing teacher just asked me uh, two questions once, which changed my life. He asked me, he, I, I drove her around there one day and he said, oh, would you like a cup of tea? I said, sure. And uh, we had a conversation and he said, may I ask you two questions? I said, shoot. He said, do you believe in God? wasn't the question I was expecting to be honest <laughs> so here I am you're like at the time 19 year old young policeman you know had a lovely car mark 5 Cortina that was a lovely car in those days a good sound <laughs> system successful young athlete you know I was boxing very well and doing very well at that and so my life was was on a great trajectory it felt and I and I didn't expect that question I said well yeah probably I, yeah I probably do believe in God I always have believed that. and then he said he asked me a second question this question was transformational for me Hmm. Do you think? Do you think the Jesus story is true? Wow. Do you think the historical story of Jesus is true? Yeah. Well, I said I, I don't know. He said, "Do you think it's important?" And so I started feeling embarrassed at this point. I said, um, "Well, yeah, probably." He said, "Can I give you a book?" So I said, "Yeah, shoot." So he gave me this book called "Who Moved the Stone" by Frank Morrison, which is that amazing story of the guy that set out to disprove the resurrection, found so much evidence to the contrary of that he had to convert yeah. to Jesus, and then wrote this book called "Who Moved the Stone." Read the book in just over 24 hours. Went back to him and said, look, have you got another book? That's amazing. And I was thinking, why didn't anyone ever tell me this? Now, yeah. to be fair to many, many faithful Sunday school teachers <laughs> yeah. that had this mouthy ADHD kid in their Sunday school class, I'm sure many of them <laughs> tried. But, yeah, that was a transformational moment. And then it was over oh, the weeks and the months of God was at work in my life in different ways. Uh, mm -hmm. I came to the conclusion, and I thought I believed it then, I believe it more deeply now, uh, that actually about 2,000 years ago, the man Jesus lived, died, and rose from the dead physically mm. to prove yeah. that he was the Lord of life and everything he said was true. And that he had a claim on my life, which I had to surrender or not surrender, I chose to surrender it. And that was transformational. So that all happened in those days. And so my life was involved now. I, was, I thought I'd be a policeman uh, for all my work in life, but I became, in that conversion experience, I got very excited about talking to people about Jesus. Uh, and I confess I wasn't probably the, the, the uh, most sensitive uh, new convert. In fact, I found out uh, a few years after I left the police that some of my work colleagues begged not to be on night duty with me in the car. <laughs> like, where can, where can you go? Like, you've got this religious nut in the car with yeah. you. Where do you go? No so, uh, Yeah, no, there's no escape. Nowhere to go. So, um, yeah, I love that. And I love talking to people about Jesus. So, anyhow, anyhow, getting involved in the work of evangelism, just trying to share that amazing life-transforming story with as many mm. people as possible. And, of course, that led eventually then to uh, the great privilege of working with the Salvation Army uh, national headquarters anyway I've done that locally previously at Harrow Salvation Army but um, yeah the um, ended up working with Salvation Army forming something called the mission team in 1990 mm -hmm. out of which came all sorts of things like roots etc etc where I got to work with your lovely mother uh, and yeah. um, and that you know that was just a, a great and privileged transformational season um, for my life for our lives for those of us that are privileged to be around at the time it, it was yeah. quite extraordinary and so that's kind of how I, that's my connection with the Sally Army. And then um, what do I do now? Well, basically my life really divides into a couple of things. Firstly, I, uh, one of the things that happened in the 90s, I was doing some work with the Salvation Army in Africa. I met a little girl that, um, who was an HIV positive toddler. 
Uh, I met her in a Salvation Army AIDS baby home in Joburg. I don't have any rational explanation other than I fell in love with this little girl. Yeah. And um, so I phoned Wendy up that night and said, hey, darling, I've fallen in love with another woman. Can I bring her home, please? <laughs> so so we, we came home. We talked to people that we knew, you know, friends, mentors, who um, knew about HIV and that weren't that many in the 90s, yeah. about the wisdom of this with two of our own younger children, Jake and Yasmin at the time. We talked to the school about having HIV in the school. We thought yeah. about, you know, what are the consequences of that, of people finding out that our younger kids, our young kids have a HIV positive toddler sister, what the impact would be on them, play dates, all that kind of stuff. We talked to the doctor about having HIV in our home with our two kids. And we thought, you know what, we're going to give this a go. So we then spent eight months trying to adopt her. That didn't work out. And so the catalyst of that was then the birth of what we now call the charity We See Hope. And, um, and that's become very much something of a life calling for myself and for Wendy, uh, seeking to support and resource vulnerable young people in Southern Eastern Africa to help them create sustainable futures. And so, yeah, over the next couple of years, started to build and, and develop and evolve that. And so and eventually, you know, the um, you know, time came for me to move on from that role, the mission team role, to be taken over by a much more talented, uh, younger uh, <laughs> leader, Russ Rook, um, who took it then to places that I, someone like me never could have taken it. He did an amazing job, and amazing job. And, um, uh, and then I ended up then setting up two organizations. So we established We See Hope as a, as a yep. standalone charity. And that's grown and thrived now under the leadership of Mark Glenn and Oswald Melinda and others. Uh, that's been amazing. It is amazing what they're doing uh, uh, in, in, in context. We're going to chat about that later. Mm. And then uh, I needed to earn some money. I didn't want to waste money paying myself uh, through the charity. So we thought, okay. And I had done a couple of coaching courses uh, as yeah. a youth worker. And so um, I, uh, I ended up um, setting up a business as a leadership coach, which is now, mm. I've been doing this job now for 23 years. And so the bulk of my working time now, about two thirds of it, uh, a third of it I give to We See Hope as a voluntary fundraiser. Then the other two thirds, yeah. I coach senior leaders and organizations to help them get better, to help them get to the top of their game as leaders yeah. and as individuals. And I do that with them and their teams. And I, I, that has privileged me the most remarkable opportunities to travel the world, to speak with and work with amazing leaders right across different yeah. industry sectors. And um, yeah, I love it. I love what I do. I'm very privileged to do what I do. And um, yeah, so that's a, yeah, that's a brief, well, I can't do anything briefly, but that's a introduction, <laughs> forgive me. Um, Phil, that's all really interesting. And I'm sure we'll hear um, more about different elements of those journeys and your future as we go through the questions together. But um, as our listeners will know, we ask every guest to make four choices and answer those four questions. And we'll start with a couple of those choices. Um, and as we're going on our hypothetical hike together, I wonder if yep. you could tell me where it is we're walking today. Well, I, again, this may be my ADHD or maybe just I've been such a blessed life. I do think actually I have an extraordinary blessed life. Mine is a life of abundant blessing and I've been able to walk in some amazing places. But I think two things kind of struck me as I thought about it. So the first is, um, in my, my midlife crisis was endurance events. And I spent quite a long time in North Wales and Snowdonia, which I know you know about, Joe, mm. on something called the Welsh 3000 or the 15 Peaks. Yeah. And I, I started that 10 times, finished it eight times. And um, that I just, I remember just multiple times, particularly a couple of the occasions when we were up on the last leg, looking back over the mountains, we'd walked yeah. over and the sun was beginning to set. Just the extraordinary beauty of that. And I just, it's just something about my competitive head where I love that sense of, being at the bottom of the mountain, looking up, coming, looking up at the mountain, thinking, I'm coming, 
I'm coming, mm. you know, and I'm, yeah. I'm going to get there. I'm going to beat you. And I, I love that. So I used to love being in that environment, that slightly competitive thing, because you're really competing with yourself. And uh, I just, I, it was just a wondrous, privileged time. But these days, I'm a little bit older. Um, I actually, uh, I, it's actually beaches. I love beaches. I yeah. love quiet beaches. And, and actually, the, the, photo, the um, image behind me is uh, from one of my favourite golf courses uh, in North Scotland. Uh, this is an hour and 30 minutes beyond Inverness, north, a uh, place called Brora. And um, just over, you can just see the sea in the background there. Mm. Um, the, the beach that sits between the golf course and the sea uh, is 2.2 miles of beach. It is glorious. Absolutely unspoiled, glorious beach. And I rest there. I relax there. I meet Jesus there. I walk with my lovely wife there. It's just such a precious, precious place. And I think because so often my life is mechanized, either in cars or trains or too often planes, yeah. to go and be in a place of peace like that, of, of just purity. It's often cold, but just the purity yeah. of it and the beauty of it and the, and the clarity, because the color is so much more clear because yeah. there's no smog. Just the clarity of it is, is just amazing. So that's where I'd be walking. Well, it sounds amazing, and I'm glad I get to see a picture because I can imagine. Yeah, I know it's beautiful. Yeah, and yeah. it's all oh, it's, it's all good. Oh, I'm looking forward to that. Um, and then who we're walking with? Who's joining us on our walk? So you can bring three guests: one living, one dead, and one fictional. Yeah. So I think um, I think the well. So the dead. I I struggle to to dead. So I'm going to choose two dead if I may. Maybe leave aside the fictional. But um, yeah. So obviously, you know, I, I was I was an avid reader of William Booth stuff, and and I think I I I think I mean I'd probably get about six minutes with him if I was to walk with him because his attention span it sounded like was even less than mine, and um, I I would just love to have understood his journey, his inner journey. Mm. Um, and his ability and his to to keep going in the face of actually a great deal of opposition and frustration mm. and difficulty. And so I I found his I find I find his life inspiring and engaging. Mm. Um, he's clear as you read the stories of him. He's a deeply flawed man like I am, and yet God managed to use his rough and rough kind of personality uh, to get some serious stuff done. And and so I just love to learn from him. Uh, particularly his latter years, as to how he just kept going, and and the things I've, that I've I've always appreciated these things, but I think as I've got older, I appreciate them more the, the the kind of faithfulness and the courage, the mix of courage and faithfulness together. Mm. I find that awe inspiring. So I'd love to learn that from him. The other person I would love to have learned from on a walk is um, uh, the martyr Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer, for those who don't know, was a Lutheran pastor in Germany. And in the 1930s, as he was seeking to preach faithfully the message of Jesus, the evil of nationalism and the fascism that uh, took hold of that um, was, was just extraordinary. And his book, The Cost of Discipleship, is one of the most influential books in my Christian walk. Yes, and, and his ability to continually follow the faithful path of Jesus against this wave of fascism and nationalism within not just the German society but within the church and to stand strong and faithful in the face of that where much of the most fierce criticism came from his own colleagues his own you know kind of pastoral colleagues and then which ultimately led uh, to his uh, martyrdom uh, again I would love to learn about his courage and his faithfulness in that situation yeah. 
And um, so those are the two of the people who, who I would uh, walk with. And again, I'm, I'm so privileged to say, you know, who, who are the, the people that are alive? I have so many friends. I am, I, I think most of them probably just, just tend to take pity on me because I think I need a friend. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, I'm, I'm so blessed. I mean, we've talked about one of them, Russ, who's like my little brother, really, and Ian and all the Andes in my life. I have numerous Andes in my life that are dear brothers and Chris and others and Jim. And I mean, I've just got so many brothers who are deep friends and, I, and I'd love walking with any one of them uh, on, on those glorious walks. And actually, you have walked that beach uh, with, uh, with a few of them. Um, but the person that I think um, who is living, I was thinking about this, and she comes from a, uh, it comes from a We See Hope story. I was doing some research for my master's, um, and um, I was set up to interview um, seven young orphans uh, who'd been, uh, who were what they call child-headed household leaders. And um, this is, uh, we did it, set it all properly, we had support workers there, we had the translator there, you know, we had these kids there. Anyway, kids started to tell their stories. And, um, and it was a bit of a disaster because well, the first kid told the story, got a bit tearful. Second kid, you know, told their story. They got even more tearful. Then by the end, you know, the kids were all crying. The, social, the workers were crying. <laughs> the big flat white bloke with the camera was crying and the camera was shaking. You know, it was just a disaster, right? You know, but there's one kid's story. So this was her, this was her, uh, her life. So she gets up at 5.30 every morning. Her name is, is Precious. That was her name. Beautiful name. She gets up at 5.30 every morning. She makes uh, breakfast for her two younger siblings, makes a fire, makes breakfast to her two young, younger siblings. And then um, she takes them to school. Then she does bits of kind of, uh, you know, kind of jobs, what they call peace works in the community, washing pans, sweeping hands, whatever, to earn some money. Goes and buys some food, yeah? Goes and picks up her younger brothers and sisters, brings them back, gives them their meal, gets them to do their homework, goes to bed, puts them to bed. Um, and there's two younger siblings and then um, she does some of her own schoolwork by candlelight and then she gets to bed about 11, 11 15 every night. She hit, that had been her lifestyle for two years when I met her. Three weeks before I met her, she'd celebrated her 13th birthday. So she told this story, I'm going to, like, oh So I said to her, I said, why, why, you know, why didn't you, why didn't you run away? And, uh, <laughs> forgive me, she, um, she said to her, she looked at me, she said, run away. There was this look of disdain in her eyes when the translator translated. She looked at me like, fucking stupid. And she looked to her left and there was a bunch of collection of little kids uh, sitting in the doorway playing. She said, how can I run away? They are my responsibility. Yeah. And she now would probably be about 20, uh, a bit older than that now, but in her early 20s. And if she's still healthy and she's still, I would love to walk along and learn from her because people of that kind of, depth, resilience, commitment, courage. I need to learn from. Yeah. I need to learn from. And I'd just love to hear how her life had gone. I'd love to learn from yeah. her. I'd love to encourage her. I'd love to affirm her. I'd love to celebrate her. Uh, I'd love to know about a younger brother. I'd just, I, I'd just love to walk and listen to her story. Yeah. yeah. Uh, in a way that I could understand and in the context that I could communicate. Uh, clearly yeah. my depth of appreciation and, and awe and admiration of who she was and who she's become and who, you know, who she began. Yeah. So, so that's who I, that's who I choose to, to walk with who's alive today. Yeah. Amazing. Um, do you have a fictional? I'll let you. No, well, I don't think the choice, I, I, I love movies. Okay. I love movies. So I, I probably kind of, you know, see myself as a kind of a philanthropic, um, and, uh, kind of uh, grace-filled and compassion-filled Jason Bourne. That would probably be how I would <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, 
<laughs> uh, and, and just walk with these people that, that have, uh, you know, who have been involved in, in all sorts of extraordinary things around the world. They've had, you know, the, the, the thing I always think about when I watch these movies, and I love, I just love movies. Uh, and but when I watch those kind of movies, and that's my kind of kind of action kind of espionage type thing, I love that kind yeah. of movie. But these people get a front row seat on the world. Yeah. And so, all joking aside, I, I it really wouldn't matter who it was, Jason Bourne or anybody, but people that have had a front row seat mm. and that have been involved in situations where at times they've had to put their lives on the line on that front row seat. Mum, think those yeah. are people I could learn a lot from, even yeah, though it's only a fictional character. <laughs> yeah. No, that would be good. I. I love that. I love the combination. I love the variety of conversation we'd have. Um, yeah, Dietrich Bonhoeffer and William Booth, both people whose like words I'm familiar with. So to know them as people would be yeah. extraordinary. And yeah, precious. Gosh, I'd love to know where where she is now. And you're right, that kind yeah. of resilience and that sticking in. Um, so much to learn there. Thank you. Extraordinary. Um, we're going to move forgive me, on yeah, to... you'll be emotional. I apologise. Oh, I wouldn't expect anything less from you. And <laughs> it's it's powerful story, isn't it? Like, we connect with people and it makes a difference. Um, she is. So yeah, it's good. Um, move on to our first question, if that's all right. Yep. Yeah, um, shoot, shoot. Now we know who's with us and where we're walking. Um, and I was wondering, how do you face change? So... In the one sense, um, I love change. I love change. Mm. But the problem in my life is I love change every 90 seconds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so so I, I think I'm one of those people who thrives in the context of change. I'm, I'm a starter. I'm an innovator. Mm. Uh, I've learned about myself as a leader. I think I'm a decent leader. I think actually on my day I can be a very, very good leader. I think I can be an inspiring leader. I think I, I could engage people and say, hey, we're going up a mountain, who's coming? Because I'm going. And people come. Mm. I, I think that's what I have learned to do well. What yeah. I know I do less well is when things reach a steady state mm. and you need systems and processes and stuff put in place. I'm not very good at it. That's why mm. myself and Mark Glenn, the CEO of We See Hope, I think are such good partners because he's brilliant at that stuff. He's brilliant people manager, yeah. brilliant at kind of building a system to deliver outcomes. And um, so, so I, on the one hand, I, I love change. On the other hand, I, I really struggle with change. And I, and I think when I've, when I've decided to change certain things, you know, those things that I've embraced as things that I'm going to change rather than change that's been imposed upon me, I think, you know, I don't think this is helpful, but this is the process I tend to go through. So it begins with a decision and, and conviction around decision. And because I, I can be so... Um, fleeting in my focus of attention i have to be really convinced it's a conviction mm. but once i have conviction then what i have to do then is build a plan because if i don't have a plan i'll get bored and i'll move on to the next thing so i need a plan and I, what i need to do is then build habits around that plan yeah. you know so whether it's i don't know weight loss or whether it's stopping by to my nails or or whether it's exercise or what, whatever thing is i have to have a habits i have to build habits in because i think you know, we are the we are the the kind of you know, the results of all our habits. Our lives are our habits. They are our life, and so you have to build new habits. So conviction, plan, habits, and then I think the other thing, which has been such a profound importance to me in my life, uh, has been accountability. Yeah, I'm someone that believes that the desire for personal change, without accountability, is called wishful thinking. It's not called anything else. You know, when working with clients, I talk about this all the time. 
It's great to say, hey, I want to change this, this, and this, but if you don't have accountability, it yeah. won't happen. End of. And so I, again, I mentioned earlier, I, I, I'm greatly blessed to have brothers uh, that I trust uh, deeply. I could tell them anything and I knew they wouldn't be disappointed because they know how flawed I am. And I knew they'd hold me, not judge me, and call me to account around those things that they know I'm committed to. And I, over these last few years, I was involved a number of years ago in, in, in launching something called Infinitum. It's a rule of life community with uh, Daniel Strickland and Steve Court and Ian Mayhew, my buddy. And uh, we, we launched this thing, really, as we thought about it. Um, and uh, to really help us make sure we kept going. And, um, you know, the kind of daily rhythm is really focused around, you know, the vision is following Jesus, right? But the, the, the daily vision is focused around these three vows of surrender, generosity, and mission. So I kind of visit those each morning, you know, that my life will be a life of surrender. And I always think, what are the things I need to increase surrender? And that my life will be a life of generosity, not just in, in giving, but actually in attitudes, in language, in mindsets, and then also in mission, that my life would be intentional and focused. And so that's been a really helpful kind of architecture for me to manage change in my life. And um, I don't do it well, but I do it better than I used to do because of that journey. And that's kind of, yeah. this rule of life thing has really helped me journey uh, more effectively through change than I had known before. So that, that's, how I, that's how I tend to journey through change. That's really helpful. And I think, because, um, for me, you know, similar, like I, I find new environments really exciting and I like the dynamism of, of new things. I like mixing things up, but, and so we'll speak to a variety of people on this podcast, those who really struggle with change and those yeah. who would say they really thrive. And I think people can look at, certainly I'd look at someone like you or I would imagine people would look at someone like you or even me and go oh she loves change like it's easy and actually unless you have those things around it even the loving of change can make change its own kind of um prison really like you can get yeah get stuck <laughs> and it looks yeah. like change and it, and so it looks like progress but actually that constant change can actually mean you end up not really moving anywhere unless you put I those think, things around it i think that's a really helpful way to describe it actually because it can look it can look very different to the outsider but we know in our own hearts and minds that actually you can just get trapped in this cycle right trapped in cycle mm. but we're never actually moving to something substantive yeah. it could be those micro changes but you know, we are human beings. We, God made us as people that would be dynamic. We'd always be changing. The only things that don't change mm. are dead things because they're mm. dead. If you're alive, yeah. then constantly you need to be changing. Well, and, and for Wendy and I, we, it's a real season of change for us actually at the moment for Mark to share this. We, and our, my metal around change or my ability to embrace change is going to be tested. So we, we've been praying, you know, it's, it's my 60th year this year, 60 in, in July, and, and our, our wonderful kids, uh, Jake Yasmin, Isabel all kind of moved on into their own wonderful lives. And so we've been praying and saying, Lord, what, what do you want this next season for us to be like? How do we make sure we don't kind of set back and settle down, but actually, you know, push on for a next season of effectiveness uh, and, and purpose mm -hmm. for the kingdom? And so the, the, the net result of all those conversations and prayers and everything is that we are in the process of moving to the US, the United States, for a few years to work alongside wow. the We See Hope yeah. board there to see if we can build a sustainable fundraising pipeline. 
America is an amazing country. It's, it's the most generous country per capita bar none. And they have an infrastructure and a tax system which makes philanthropy far more accessible. So, um, yeah, we're going to go spend a few years there, going to have to set up another business there, and Wendy's going to get a speech pathology job there, and, you know, to fund ourselves and then do this kind of modelers here in the UK and then volunteer our, the rest of our time to try and work with the voluntary yeah. board there. And that whole idea of, you know, being 3,000 miles away from my three kids, ah, mm. I'm really struggling with that thought, you know, for, for not days, yeah. but, you know, because I've travelled a lot in my life, but three years or four years or whatever it is and um yeah that's going to be challenging and all all the difference stuff that will mm. be out there we spent uh, a couple of months out there just before christmas and uh yeah it's just it's just so different in so many ways so yeah. my the credibility of my words about i like change will be tested severely i think in the coming years yeah. so we're just we're just in the visa process now and uh and trusting god for that to come through in a timely fashion that, that mr biden lets the walls in that's our hope. <laughs> And I, I guess seeing that that change, um, those processes that you've put in around change, because deciding you're going to do something, like, that's the easy bit, isn't it? And having it the, having the idea and going, oh yeah, I'm going to do this thing, but knowing yeah. that you've got those that the conviction came, but then the planning and then the processes, and so then even when things like visas and all that take a long time, when you've got those other things in place it means that you do get to move forward rather than just saying that you're going to do this thing. Well, you can't just dream, you've got to execute. Yeah. And so, you know, decisions and dreams are wonderful, but without a plan and execution and accountability, mm. they don't happen. And yeah. so, um, yeah, we're, we're, I'm hopeful that we'll, uh, I, I hope I can journey well through this. I am finding it challenging, if I'm honest, being really honest. Yeah. I've been a bit disappointed with myself, actually, to how, how anxious, you know, my... My faith in Jesus is here, you know, at times my anxiety is here and I'm going, ah, yeah. you know. So, uh, but uh, I'm learning. God's teaching us things during this time. So hopefully I'm going to grow up a bit more and, uh, <laughs> and learn to trust more. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, maybe that helps us move on to the next question. Um, Recognising that out of change can come pain and difficulty. Mm. Um, but also I'm, I'm really looking forward to hearing more because of your experience particularly with we see hope um around this idea of how do we move through suffering how do you move through yeah. suffering well it's a re it's, i find that a really difficult question joe because i can't you know when i look at the world around us and i mm. think about my life and i reflect on my life I say, have i suffered i'm not sure i've suffered you know in, yeah. in that sense i've got such a blessed and abundant life mm. you know so I thought, well, how do I have an intelligent conversation about it? So then I paused and said, well, let's think a bit more creatively about it. So I thought to myself, well, when, did, when was I hurt or when was I in pain? Because I think, you know, one-off event isn't necessarily suffering, right? So I thought, you know, when I was a policeman, you know, I was, I was you know, brutalised very badly on, you know, on numerous occasions as a police, a riot squad policeman, where I was involved in very extreme levels of violence. Uh, and... Um, that's not pleasant, right? Yeah. <laughs> it hurts, <laughs> you know. Uh, but it's as much the emotional trauma. You know, we got eleven people using your head as a football. That's quite a traumatic thing, and yeah. uh, and so, you know. And but I, I kind of I didn't see that suffering. I just thought it's part of my job. If that doesn't yeah. sound bizarre, <laughs> um, you know, not not that having head kicks in is part of your job. But I just that's how I saw it at the time. I probably still yeah. do. It's just it's just part of the gig, right? So it's a high that that particular role is a high risk role and. 
you roll with it. It's, it's where it, mm. it goes. So, so I, I, I look back on that. Uh, so I think, wow, what's wrong with suffering? Um, I look, I've lost people I love. I mean, the loss of Wendy's mum early in our marriage uh, was devastating. A wonderful woman of God in her early 50s. Just, oh, it was awful. She uh, lived yeah. with leukemia for three years, five years, whatever it was. And then we lost her. And that, at the beginning of our marriage, it was very challenging. And to try, as a young, relatively mature young man, trying to support your wife through that, I found that very, very challenging. So that, that was hard. I actually thought about what, what things I'd found emotionally difficult. And I think during those, those 10 years in the Salvation Army, I, on the one hand, I, I loved and I thrived in every single second. You know, mm. and being this kind of maverick entrepreneurial innovator on the kind of edge and the margins of the system, I kind of loved and thrived in that environment. At the same time, I was desperate for affirmation. You know, I wasn't yeah. a Salvation Army officer and all that kind of stuff. And, and that constant, constant messaging and, and communication and, and mindsets and attitudes of rejection, I, f I found that very difficult. I, 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 yeah. To my shame, I cried too many tears around that at the time, uh, which, of course, no one ever saw. But, you know, I just, you know, because you, you try and think, particularly in your 20s, you try and think mm -hmm. you're bulletproof, right? But I really wasn't. And, um, and I, I just couldn't, I couldn't figure out a way to be accepted and at the same time do my job that I was being paid to do and I felt God called me to do. And, uh, and I found that, I found that, I found that harder than I, if you'd have said to me, how will you find that? I thought, well, I might be a bit tougher, but I found that very hard. And um, again, you know, beloved of friends around me and family and wife, etc., got me through it, but I did find that hard. And so uh, suffering, would I call it suffering? Maybe, I don't know, but uh, that was quite hard. Uh, and then I think um, I, in 2010, uh, I went through, a, my mental health was really challenged in 2010. I went through a season of um, clinical depression, I think. Uh, well, no, no, I think I did. And um, that, that is probably the nearest thing I think I would call suffering. Um, and anyone who's been through it will know exactly what I'm talking about. People are very kind and encouraging. They try and encourage and say things like, oh, there's, there's light at the end of the tunnel. And you're thinking, there's no tunnel, let alone any light. <laughs> like, so, so I found that very, I found that very challenging. I found that very challenging. Number one, the actual condition I found very challenging. And um, I, I, yes, I, it was, it was, it was exhausting. And, and you end up having the most bizarre self-harming thoughts in your mind that the world would be better if it wasn't here, blah, blah, all that kind of bizarre yeah. nonsense. So that, that's quite, that's obviously very toxic. Um, but also, and this I found chastening and, and also healing, where the Phil Wall version of me that I'd wanted to have, it didn't fit the narrative, right? Yeah. Like, Phil breaking down didn't fit the narrative. Phil mm. gets knocked down and he gets up. You know, he's the kind of yeah. spiritual Rocky Balboa type thing. That nonsense, <laughs> that macho kind of ridiculous mindset thing. I, it just didn't, I did have this narrative. Yeah. It didn't fit the narrative. So I had this kind of, also this so was that your narrative was that your narrative or was that i, I think i i, other I it would be just a bit of both it would be disingenuous to say it was imposed on me by other people because i loved it and i thrived in it you know phil wall a bit of rough blah 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 gets it done pushes through blah 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 so i think i think that that was it was certainly in the earliest days it was what was gifted to me even prophesied to me actually mm. uh, and I, and i owned that and embraced that and it fitted how i wanted to see myself mm. and my sense of self and i think what i found difficult during my illness was 
it, it wasn't just the fact that I was unwell, it was the fact that I had an identity crisis then. Mm. And I think what, what I'm very thankful for is I matured, I have matured through that process. I'm very thankful to God for, for journeying through that with me, that I see things very differently now. I'm, I, I'm chastened from the view I used to hold of people that I saw around me that struggle with those things and the arrogance and the, and the naivety that I had around that and, and, and embrace it now as, okay, it was a tough time. That's probably the nearest thing to suffering I've gone through. Mm. Um, yeah, that um, not only could I, but actually it's quite likely that someone like me would because of my personality and the way that the choices I was making about my body and about my mind mm. and, uh, and the pressure I was putting it under. So, yeah, it was, it was a, I look back on it now with thankfulness that I went through it because of the lessons I learned, but I wouldn't yeah. choose to go through it again, if that makes sense. I yeah. wish I could have had the lessons without the pain. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but I didn't. So that, that's, pr that's probably the nearest so that, I, that I've been through. And, I, I, you know, in terms of answering the question, how, did I, how do I journey through it? So, again, I only got through that because of, well, primarily my dear wife, uh, Wendy. Mm -hmm. um, but also lots of loving friends who were around me who not only supported and carried me, but also slapped me when I needed slapping. You know, <laughs> with a personality like, well, a, a personality like this needs that in equal measure. I need people to carry me. I also need people to slap me down. And, you know, yeah. the, the challenge of being in the, in, the, in, the, in the 90s, most people just wanted to slap me down. <laughs> so I needed people <laughs> around me to kind of carry me. And um, so, so that, they got me through. And I think, you know, as I think about it now, um, you know, about how do I journey through suffering, I think, so what I do habitually is I, I, I seek to bring perspective. Mm -hmm. And I do this unhealthily where I say, yeah, but of course, you know, I'm not living in Syria or Turkey after an earthquake yeah. or I'm not an orphan in Africa or I'm not a young man on the front line in Ukraine or whatever, you know. So I do this displacement thing psychologically yeah. and that is a coping mechanism for me, yeah. you know. Uh, but sometimes I think I do that too, I've been challenged by friends that I do that too much at times, which then deflects from me confronting the reality of my own pain. Mm. And so I live in denial of it. Yeah. And so, but it, but, it, but it is a coping mechanism and it does, it, it does work. It has worked quite well for me. Um, the second thing is, is obviously my faith journey. Um, yeah. I'm a deeply committed follower of Jesus. Uh, I read his word uh, every day, most days, actually not every day, but most days. And um, I journey with him. You know, I walk with him. I talk to the guy every day. And um, those things um, enable me to, to sustain me. And, and during that time, it was, there was just a couple of verses, you know, that sustained me. Trust the Lord with all whole of your heart and lean not on your understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. I mean, that, yeah. a bit, I just recited it time and time and time and time yeah, again. Yeah. So I, sticking close to Jesus was good. Sticking close to your mates, I think. Again, yeah. one of the things that leaders often do, particularly people with big egos, uh, ego leaders, is we isolate ourselves. When we're in pain and we're failing, we then shut down and we isolate ourselves, you know. And um, when I've sought to support buddies through that, those difficult, similar set of difficult times, one of the main jobs you have as a friend is to make sure they don't isolate themselves. Yeah. They might want to be on their own, but you don't let them be on their own. Yeah. And then you protect them from themselves. And I certainly needed that. You know, certainly yeah. people think, say, hey, Phil, I haven't heard from you for a while. Talk to me. If you don't, I'm going to come around and hunt you down kind of thing, you know. Yeah. So I had buddies that would hunt me down mm. and seek me out because yeah. I had to avoid isolation. And then um, I think the last thing, um, in addition to not isolating yourself, the, the, is, is to not stand still, mm. not get stuck. Mm. 
Yeah. And I think, I think that's a discipline as much as anything else when you're suffering is to not stay there because suffering is rarely permanent. That's not true for everybody. I accept that. Yeah. But for people like me, the suffering I've been through, it wasn't permanent. And even in my more irrational moments, I knew it wasn't permanent, that this season will end. So don't stand still. And I heard that actually, um, uh, well, it's Jesus, he talked about, you know, kind of the first should be last, last if you want to get, you've got to give, right? Yeah. And I heard that the, um, I looked at a video cast the other day of a, uh, a, t- a kind of 20-something American young man who had an audience with a bunch of other young people with the Dalai Lama. And he, mm-hmm. he asked this question, he said, oh, what would you say to a generation of young people really struggling with anxiety and mental health and everything else, you know? What it, and I was kind of expecting this kind of really pastoral kind of wrapping arms around supportive statement from the Dalai Lama. And he said, altruism. Okay. Altruism. Give yourself away to others. That's how to manage your anxiety and your mental health challenges, you know? <laughs> Which I love, something like that I, I love. So I think, you know, avoiding that kind of feeling sorry for yourself, that victim thing, mm-hmm. I am no victim. I mm-hmm. suffer, but I'm no victim. Yeah, and not allowing yourself to go there and not getting stuck. I think those are bit, those were important things for me. Yeah. I hope that makes sense. It really makes sense. And it, and it, but it's a really tricky balance, isn't it? Um, so I think my tendency would be the same as yours, go, oh, well, it, it could be worse. <laughs> like one of, yeah. And one of my kind of confronting, memories around that was um so my husband steve was in an accident um broke his back um when i had when our second child had a two-year-old and my second son just been born was two weeks old and i'd been very ill and walking through the hospital to visit my husband with his broken back no idea what that was going to mean for us in our lives and instead of allowing myself to go oh this is really bad i was going i saw a cancer patient (laughs) and I was like well he's not dying of cancer so we're okay and and I think actually not dealing with that pain at that time caused a whole bunch of issues for me and my family Mm -hmm. um because I didn't confront it but then there is also that thing well he didn't die and actually we out of all of that things worked out far better than they could have done and Mm. I, don't, I haven't got family in Ukraine. I'm not in no. um, Syria where after my children only knowing a world at war, they are now have now lost their home because of a natural disaster. Yep. How do you balance that? Like, How do you confront it but not wallow in it, basically? I think, I guess that's wow. my question. That's a great question. I think you try. Mm. I mean, you know, flipping statements from me on a podcast aren't helpful, right? But I think you try. Yeah. You try. And I think, again, I have no concept of that kind of suffering we just talked I have no concept of that. I don't, I've seen a lot of bad stuff in my life because of the jobs that mm. I've done and the places I've been, but I have no concept of that. Um, I think you pray, you trust, and you try. You try anything to try and find a way to put in perspective and allow the seeds of hope to grow. Yeah. Because ultimately, we, none of us you know, who suffer, we never choose that. No. You know, and people that have suffered horrendously, I never, never forget listening to um, one of my colleagues from business school who had been involved in counselling women that had been gang raped during the Bosnian War. 
And, and she said, one of the first things we have to do is to help them develop agency, whereby yeah. what happened to them was awful and it wasn't their choice. But how they now yeah. respond to it is entirely their choice. Yeah. And so to begin to begin to say, okay, your first decision, your first choice is how am I going to respond to this? What's the mindset? What's the attitude that I'll bring? And I think that, I think in there somewhere is something really important about, okay, I've got to begin to take back agency. My suffering, mm. I mean, sometimes our suffering is caused by ourselves because of stupid decisions, but a lot of the time it's not. Um, and uh, I think it's about, I say it's the balance, isn't it? I mean, it's, I think it's just trying. It's trying to find a way to reframe what, where you're in and what you're at and to say, right, what's the next decision? Mm. What's the next decision? You know, it's people who are, who are addicts, you know, recovering alcoholics, recovering drug addicts, you know, so you're going to be drug free or alcohol free the rest of your life. And they can't say, well, I don't know, but what they can say, but it will be tomorrow because yeah. that's a decision that they have and that's yeah. the one they can make. And so I think, I think it's in there somewhere trying to develop some conviction around this one thing I can do. I could choose, for example, this mindset, this attitude for this day. And then tomorrow, yeah. there'll be another choice. And I think from having listened to people that have suffered horrendously in different ways, that that's part of the early steps of the pathway out of that. Yeah. But also making sure you remind yourself of, A, the grace of God as people of faith, mm. and also that you have agency. You are yeah. not a useless victim. You may be a victim, but you're not a useless victim, and you mm. have agency. So use yeah. it. Yeah. I think this but, one thing I can do, I think that is exactly. a really helpful... It's one thing I can do. Line. Yeah. And build from there. Yeah, thanks, Phil. That's really helpful. Um, yeah, I'm just mindful of all those um, mechanisms you talked about in that first question as well, um, because they work equally here, don't they? It's that that conviction, it's that planning, but it's also that accountability. It's about those relationships and... Yep. finding those yep. people who will come alongside you and know when to carry you and when to slap you um mm. but that requires an honesty on your part doesn't it and that's a yep. bit that you and are a vulnerability in yeah yeah and that's the bit you are in control of um is is how honestly you share and how vulnerable you make yourself and in the right spaces yep. and yeah having those processes when it's good um that also work when it's not so good um, yeah true very true becomes a whole life thing um that's great um we're gonna make a one of our choices now um and this is what we're listening to as we hike now i'm right. really happy listening to dietrich bonhoeffer quite frankly but if we do need <laughs> if we do need a break if we need uh, to catch our breath um what what will we listen to as we hike so so i think well it depends, it depends what part of the hike we're at you know i think if we're on a up in the beautiful areas you know um i, I think you know i love so for example i i listen to a lot of worship stuff i love that stuff mm. but bit of kurt franklin here and there i love a bit of all yeah. that bit of old-time gospel love that um i listen quite a lot to you know, things like you know gregory porter um you know his mm. latest album all rise i think is brilliant i love that um so that would be it. In the harder times, when I need some energy and a beat, and this is what I don't tend to run anymore. I, I just use the gym a lot. Um, I tend, so I may lose a lot of friends at this point. I'm actually getting really into new country. I really am. You know, okay. bit of Aaron Watson. I'm getting really getting into it. And, and actually, on my gym playlist, uh, when I'm doing my, you know, my bench press and my squats <laughs> and my, my curls, bicycles, 
is actually Taylor Swift. I, I just, I just, <laughs> it, it just it's just great. It's just great. No, I just love it. It's just an energy, yeah. you know, in a lot of, not all the songs, but in a lot of other songs, you know. And uh, I haven't really got into the new one, the Midnight. Is it Midnight or Midnight? Whatever it is, what are the new ones That's called? more of a chill that, vibe, but... I think. I, I don't reckon yeah. any of that's going to get you through a bench press. It's good, I think, I think, but... <laughs> well, the two I listened to are 1989 and Fearless. Those two, I've just got those two on, you know, they just yeah, yeah. through, they, they kind of shuffle through. So, so yeah, so I, that's, what I, that's what we'll listen to if we were in a gym okay, or, well, or a walk. That's what, when we're going uphill, that's what we'll be listening to. I can say, hand on heart, I was not expecting Taylor Swift. I'm sorry. You, but I am delighted. I am a fan. Um, my I think whole family. I think she's great. My whole family are fans, and I feel oh. like there's a there's a Taylor for every mood. That's the thing I love about <laughs> Taylor Swift, is that well, if you want something like a little bit like angry and shouty, she's got those like really good breakup songs. If you want yeah. something just really fun she's got those too if you need like a i really so i really like some of her newer stuff especially her lockdown stuff when i'm at night if i'm outside around a fire looking at the stars right it's just vibes it's yeah you're just much deeper than me uh jonah <laughs> basically and i hardly know any of the lyrics you know and of course difficult for me because last time i had a breakup was 41 years ago so it's kind of yeah. i don't really yeah i really struggle with this thing, so. so um yeah no i i think anyway i just uh, sorry let me confess that i just really and i think she seemed a, a, a you know perfectly decent young woman and um you know she's gone through some, she's done some hard yards and um yeah, I just, I really like it. and just makes um, good music. I really enjoy it. Yeah, no, it is, it is good music. It is good music. Yeah, I love it. Anyway, so that's what we I'm, listen to, particularly as we go uphill. <laughs> I'm, deli- I'm delighted. That's great. Brilliant. Good. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so, okay. So we've listened to some Taylor. We've got yeah. Swift. We've got some smiles on our faces. Um, yeah. And or grimacing as we go up the hills. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that helps us with our next question. How do you receive joy, Phil? How do I receive joy? So I, 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 I have this abundant life, Joe. There are so many things that bring me joy. I was, I wrote them down. So and this is the edited version. So I wrote them down, right? Mm. Because I, I, you know, I think, what do I need to joy? Well, last time I experienced joy was just the other day. I hit the most amazing golf shot. I really did. I love golf, <laughs> right? Hit the most amazing golf. And that stuff brings me joy, yeah? Because I've worked mm-hmm. hard and I've practiced and then I execute, right? So, yeah. so you know, competitive sport, that like, brings me joy. My, you mm-hmm. know, much more seriously, my, my three children and their significant others, they, they bring me joy. I'm so proud of who they've become when I look at them, when I listen to them, when I, when I hear their story and their journey. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, you know, it just, it brings me joy. Um, I'm so proud of them. My two sisters, Salvation officers, my brother-in-laws, I'm so proud of who they are and what they're doing uh, day in, day out in their ministries. And, 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 and obviously, you know, I think they, they, I have, um, I have in my daily devotions, I, I just begin in thankfulness and, and I just mm. recall and as a discipline, just give thanks to God for the amazing gifts, friends, mm. opportunities, blessings, resources. I mean, just, I, I, I begin every day in that. I, I begin in thankfulness. Well, I think I think one of our main sources of joy, and we spent a great deal of time just the two of us together over these last uh, six months, is, is, and this doesn't sound too mushy, is my wife. She went Wendy. Many people don't know Wendy or have met Wendy. She's a deeply committed introvert. Those of us that do know her well, and maybe some of those will be listening to this, this is a, just a woman of real depth and mm-hmm. spirituality and faithfulness and dedication. And I, 
she brings me joy. I love it when she laughs. And when she laughs, she, because of her tear ducts in her eyes, she cries when she laughs every time. It just, it just brings joy to my spirit um, yeah. when seeing her joy-filled. And, um, and when I listen to her on the phone sometimes, when she's caring for others and giving to others and she's writing notes, she writes loads of notes and she's taking gifts around and food around and stuff, all that stuff. It just, as I reflect on that, who I've been privy to journey with for these last 40 years, I'm going, that brings me joy. Mm. Uh, forgive me, that sounds a bit mushy, but it's just true. No, I really it like it me joy. because... It brings me joy. She brings me joy. So, and I think there's... Like that discipline of gratitude, I think that is really important because yeah. like yeah. how we receive how we receive joy, um, I think of all the things, that's the one that we expect to just happen rather than to um you don't feel like you should work at joy, but actually yeah. <laughs> um yeah. it makes sense to work at it sometimes. It and does. that discipline yeah. of gratitude I think is one that we've heard and and I think increasingly people are becoming familiar with that idea that it's it's yeah. worth it's worth practicing but the thing that i, Can I mention two... oh yeah go on well i just want to mention two more things so there were just two other things i wrote down which was i, I love seeing others succeed hmm. i love i celebrate other success i love yeah. it and what be it my friends be it my kids be it you know the work of we see hope mark and oswald and others just it's just extraordinary what uh, what has been done and what's been achieved and i and i get to do this as a job i get to see people grow and develop so that brings mm. me such joy a phrase and whatever it just brings me joy to see others grow genuine joy i i feel yeah. i get so much reward and fulfillment from my job it's extraordinary yeah and then last thing um is i do <laughs> i do love talking to people about jesus yeah I, I had an amazing opportunity on Monday of this week, uh, last week, sorry. I just came home so excited to tell Wendy. What an amazing opportunity it was tonight. I, I always have. I love telling people the difference Jesus made to my life and inviting them to think about him, consider his story, of their story, and how those two things might or might not interact. I love that. And that brings me joy. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's the other thing that I noticed, though, Phil, is that as well as that discipline of gratitude. The thing that I think is the common thread between the way you talk about Wendy, about the success in others, but then also telling people about Jesus is about noticing the goodness around you, isn't it? Yeah. Um, like That's noticing a great way to describe the, it. Like noticing the goodness in others. So you know when, yeah. when wendy's in that phone call you're not just yeah. you're not just like passing by that moment you're going wow there is such goodness here and then when others success succeed instead of it just being oh they've they've got their thing there it's going oh there is something really good here and yeah. i think noticing as well as being grateful i just think taking time to notice goodness in others as, a as well makes the world feel like a better place i think that's a really helpful way to describe it a really helpful way one of the things one of my buddies one of my other buddies jim and also a fellow ex-policeman he said the problem with being a policeman is your eyes are always up mm. you're always noticing things oh that's not right what's that what's he or she doing by that car that's not and i think mm. that that mindset that capacity actually is really helpful mm. uh, when it comes to noticing things and I, yeah. 
I just notice those things and I, and I take great joy from them. Yeah. And I think like on those, in those moments when I think things for like yourself can feel like a bit of a struggle and even that practice of gratitude for yourself can be quite hard, like noticing yeah. that there is still good um, and it's represented in the people around you and all yeah, these different situations true. is exactly. really helpful. It is. Yeah. We've got our final choice now before we get to yeah. our final question. Um, this is a quickie, and the final easy. Yeah, food. What's in your bag, easy. snack bag? So again, my, as I say, my midlife crisis was endurance events. Uh, my snacks are, were two things. Number one, my Wendy's flapjacks did these amazing oat and honey and apricot flapjacks with lots mm -hmm. of nuts in them, just to die for, food to die for. And obviously high calorific things, so good for energy. And then um, the other one I had is malt loaf with about half a centimeter of butter on it. <sighs> I don't even bag. think that's our first malt loaf and I'm I'm not happy about it because I don't like it and I don't understand. Oh, oh, I, don't, I don't understand. Glorious. Glorious. Well, again, it's packed but the flapjack I'm well calories. on board with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, that, so I'd share, well, that'd be great. So I'd share my flapjack with you but I enjoy having you the whole have, of my life to myself. You can have a lot life. I'll put the butter <laughs> on that. something else, if that's all right. Thank you. <laughs> and then our um, final question. Um, how do you mature in service? It's, a, it's not a question I've ever been asked before. Hmm. In fact, no one's ever asked me how I suffer before either, so that's really helpful questions, but it caused me reflecting it in a different way. But I think how you mature through service. So I think, well, hopefully you assume you're maturing. Uh, we boys are a bit slower at that, obviously, uh, than you girls. But um, uh, the, so I think, I think there's a number of things that I, I have tried to do, which I think have enabled me to mature and I'm maturing through my service. So the first thing is mm. you keep your promises. Mm. You commit to keeping your promises. I think people make promises too fleetingly these days and they break them too easily. We're in a non, we're in a kind of low commitment, low kind of faithfulness subculture these days. And I think mm. um, too easily in church life, uh, which in too many ways has become a, a consumable in people's lives. We make commitments and then we're back off them in, in a few weeks. So mm. I think the first thing is, you know, honour your commitments, keep your promises. You know, someone did ask me actually at a corporate thing uh, uh, or three, four years ago, they say, hey, Phil, what, what do you want people to write in your gravestone? You know, I said, he said, if my kids just wrote this one thing on my gravestone, I'm good with this. If they just wrote, and Wendy obviously as well, here lies Phil Wall, he kept his promises. I'm good with that. Mm. I don't need anything else. And no one needs to say anything else. I just kept my promises. That's yeah. it. So I think faithfulness and diligence and commitment to the promises is one thing. Um, and then the second thing is, how do you do mature through services is don't settle. I think it's just too easy to settle. You know, people my generation were kind of starting to kick back and settle and retire. I said, like, don't settle, don't stop, don't kind of stop that ongoing, uh, you know, growth journey. And uh, be hungry to learn, be hungry to grow, be hungry to build legacy. And um, and I think the way we do that as, you know, I, I see myself as a reasonably bright, capable, decent, effective, productive, pretty highly skilled individual. That's how I see myself. I mean, arrogantly, but that's just how I perceive myself. So what I need to do to keep growing, maturing through service is constantly put myself in that place when I'm challenged. Or as my dear friend, Julie Brett, who many on this, well, I don't know if many would know her, but just one of the 
great uh, mentors and, and role models in my life. You know, she says, Phil, she said, we need to constantly put ourselves in that posture of dependency. Living in that space between where what we can do and only God can do, living in that gap. So we're utterly dependent upon God to turn up and do what only God can do. And, uh, and that means risk. So that means regularly embrace. So how do we mature through surface? You know, we avoid complacency, we avoid settling, and we constantly challenge ourselves to take risk. Because mm. without risk, there is no growth. Mm. It's easy. It's just without the risk, without taking risk, there is no growth. There's no opportunity to grow. To grow in skills, to grow in capabilities, maturity, and to grow in faith. I always think that story of, of Peter, you know, walking on the water. He said, oh, the great miracle was he walked on the water. I actually think the miracle was a Jesus miracle. The greatest miracle for him was he got out of the boat without knowing he could walk on water mm-hmm. unless Jesus turned up. Yeah. And you've got to get out of the boat. You've yeah. got to get out of the boat. So how do we mature through service? We regularly get out of the boat. Yeah. Because that, I think, puts us in that, that place of utter dependency upon God. And it's in that space that God can do his best work in us and through us when we're utterly dependent upon him, where nothing other than God turning up can sort things out, where nothing only then, nothing other than full and utter reliance and dependence upon Jesus. Mm. It's only in that space that we grasp, where our spiritual muscles get broken down and grow again in that, you know, adopting that posture of dependency. And I think the last thing in it is, and it's closely linked to that, how do we mature through service? We stay hungry. Mm. We stay hungry. It's too easy. I have found it too easy to allow all the busyness of life and work and paying the bills and kids and all this (laughs) important stuff, but just to allow that to kind of drown that hunger, which needs to define my life as a follower of Jesus. Yeah. That I take step by step, moment by moment. Mm. I'm hungry to, to maximize my contribution to do the best that I can do with what God has given me. And, I, you know, I've got a few things I can do, but lots of things I can't do, but to try and make the most of what I can uh, do with what I've got and stay hungry for God to do more, stay hungry yeah. to know him better. And I think the, I spend a lot of time talking to leaders and I spend some time talking to Christian leaders. And I, I would say that is one of our greatest needs, to be led in churches, to be led in organisations like the Savage Army, by people that are hungry yeah. to meet with Jesus. Yeah. Hungry. Not peckish, but hungry. <laughs> yeah. Hungry to meet with Jesus. And that, I think, keeps us on the track of maturing through service. That yeah. hunger. Hope that makes sense. Yeah, no, gosh, that all makes loads of sense. And it's a really hopeful point of view, isn't it? Because... Absolutely. It's, it's hopeful. Yeah, it's it's easy to be fearful and it's easy to be nervous and it's, it's easy to believe that this is it. But when you're refusing to settle, when you're taking risks, when you're hungry for more, it's because you're you're hopeful not just for yourself but for the for others and for the world and Yep. And hope is life giving for everybody that it touches, not just you as you mature in service, that that dream that there is more impacts others yeah. as well doesn't it yeah well that's my you know well, i say my life first my main life first but romans fifteen thirteen, i pray that god the source of all hope 
uh, will fill you with joy and peace as you trust in him, then you will be filled with confident hope as you trust in Jesus. And I think the, um, I think that, you know, that concept, that kind of image that Paul gives the Roman church of being overflowers, overflowing with confident hope, this kind of mm. splashing hope over others, you know, as you walk around, you know, splashing people with the hope of Jesus uh, as they bump into you, as they connect with your life. I think that's one of the marks of faith uh, that in the world in which we live is so attractive to me. And it it can only be the fruit of the Spirit at work in your life. It's not something you can kind of magic up. Uh, But actually, as we come to Jesus, the source of all joy and peace Mm. and the God of hope will enable you by the power of the Holy Spirit to overflow with confident hope. Yeah, and that's that's my daily prayer. That somehow, with the deeply flawed man that I am, and, <laughs> you know, that God, a, God will enable that to happen. That's that's yeah. my prayer. And that's I would we overflow see, with confident hope. In and it. that's why you've done. We see hope, isn't it? Like, and like that. That is why that. That's why it's the name. Actually, knowing knowing that you can you can do something, and that that caused you to put your yourself out there and and create this thing because because you see that hope and. And one of the other things I, I think I should say here is, is when you began that journey and you gave us money, Phil. Um, <laughs> so I was in the youth, I was in the youth venue at Roots um, as a teenager and you had this dream for making a difference to people living with HIV um, in, in the developing world and you gave me and hundreds of others money, your money. And we were then tasked with <laughs> multiplying that, that gift of your money um, to help that journey. And that experience for me was transformational because wow. I, um, I made my friends give me their money their pounds so that I had more pounds <laughs> and gathered a group of people and we um we put on an event I mean that's what we did it wasn't anything groundbreaking but we put on an event and we made some money and your vision of hope for your charity but also that belief that others would come good on an investment that you made in them was really transformational because I got to be Wonderful. part of something that I then saw had made a difference. And I guess that's one of the things that really drives me in youth work. It's why I'm still a youth worker after goodness knows how long right. is because I want to see, I want to give young people opportunity to make a difference. I want to show what a hope-filled perspective can look like because you do that when you're young and you somehow believe that it's possible and yeah so I think all those things that are about how you mature in service also massively shape how other people mature in service as well and so that I guess the thing is, I'm not just just saying this to big you up, <laughs> but is to 
is the lesson there isn't it's not just about how we mature in service it's about how that mindset releases everybody and becomes how everybody matures in service because you're not just taking risks on you you're taking risks on others and you're not just believing um that there's more for you you believe there's more for the world and so how we can do those things do both of those things to make a difference really well it's really thank you for your encouragement joe i think that's uh i think once you once you if you like hit your wagon to the resurrected jesus hope's a choice Mm. he always gives it as a choice but i think hope's a choice you choose hope you choose Mm. and i i I have a very, and we as an organisation, we have a very redemptive and asset-based mindset that we're utterly addicted to. It's called We See Hope because the, the marketing agency that helped us with it said, your brand, you know, your creed, We See Hope, is what you do. And so let's call ourselves by our creed, you know. And I think, yeah. so that's for the organisation and, and they fulfil that hope every day. Uh, for me as an individual, um, it's also my, my internal creed that, yeah. you know, I follow Jesus, the resurrected one, and that always, mm. always gives me hope because mm. he's a resurrected one, the Lord of life. And um, I may not feel that a lot of the time. I may struggle to believe that at times, but it's still a choice, so I choose. Mm. And, um, and that's, I think, one of the things that's helping me to mature, hopefully, through my service. Yeah. But hope's only. Yeah. Ah, well, um... Thank you. <laughs> um, oh, it's a joy. Thank you. I'm really grateful to you for your time in um, what is a busy season of transition and exploring something new. Um, I hope that along with me, people who hear this will be um, thinking of you and praying for you, encouraging you. Thank you. Um, Thank you. In the in these next steps and and yeah, in this journey of hope that you're on yep thank you appreciate it i am so grateful to phil for joining us on our hypothetical hike and sharing his story with us and his wisdom i am in part who i am and do what i do because of leaders who took the time to get to know me who believed in me and gave me opportunities that sometimes seemed beyond my capabilities almost 30 years ago um, Phil was one of those at a summer school which is a residential holiday for teenagers connected with the Salvation Army we were in a meeting uh, that Phil had been invited to come and lead and as things were unfolding he came and spoke to me and said Joe like you know these people better than I do what do we do next and we chatted that through and then He handed the mic over to me and got me to lead some of that. It was a moment of real significance. And I'm reminded that noticing those young people I work with, really listening to them, really investing and taking risks can be life-changing. I wonder if you remember people and moments like that in your life. And maybe that can serve as a reminder for all of us to find opportunities to do the same. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. We'd love to know more of your thoughts and you can join in that conversation on Facebook. 
Just search the All Terrain Conversations and join our group there. Please don't forget to share the podcast across your social media channels. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, we'd love it if you could give the show a rating or even write us a review. All of those things help us get the show heard by more people. You can also access brilliant sketch notes and a blog post that accompany each episode. Both of these things help me think again about the conversation that I've had and the wisdom that was captured there. Again, you can click the link in the show notes or just search the All Terrain podcast. I'll be back soon with another guest who will be facing the four choices, answering the four questions and sharing their wisdom learned along the way on the All Terrain podcast. So until then, goodbye and thanks for listening.